Um, part of the reason why we're here is so that we can um, God, well, no, I'll tell you another day. Um, I, I just want you to know that your response to that theme on a regular basis is making a difference, not just for you, but for people who watch the chapel services on a regular basis. Um, your being here is a testimony to your obedience, but it also is an encouragement to them. I want you to know. Speaker of the evening is Dave Church. And I wondered where, I was hoping you stay. He's right over here. <laughs> He's the director of the leadership and ethics program for the Bible College. Uh, he has some news to tell you that I won't even go any further than that, but he will help us in our process of finishing the race and keeping the faith. It is the declaration of our heart. It is the prayer of our heart. We desire to worship and obey. So pull us, draw us, grab us close to you. And we surrender everything that would be in between us and you. For we desire to worship and obey. It's an awesome privilege to be here with you this evening in this uh, beautiful sanctuary. And uh, I'm aware that there have been many that have stood in this place and uh, tried their best to use English language to represent what Christ is to us and what he does. And so it's an awesome privilege for me tonight. And uh, particularly to have an adult student audience that's an uh, uh, awesome group to be in front of. Uh, I need to start this evening by uh, giving a short testimony. About uh, six or seven years ago, my wife Paula and I were uh, called by our district superintendent in Indiana and said, you know, we have this small church that's uh, in financial trouble and uh, not sure if it can make it or not. And uh, we know you're putting in 50 or 60 hours a week at General Motors, but would you mind to see if you could come and help? And after prayer, we said yes, we would do that. And uh, an awesome group of uh, individuals and the Lord blessed, and in about two years, we had put together a facility plan and a strategic plan, and we had new people coming, and the finances were up, and we were able to turn it over to a full-time pastor. So it was a, a blessing to see God move in that way and to feel like some way we had some small part of that. Well, so then God sent us off overseas, and we were away from family, and then he called us here. And in November, I got a phone call. Now, you have to understand that many years ago, I went through a divorce, and my children got off into drugs and alcohol, all that. And I had this call from my daughter. And she said, uh, 
They had that Brownsburg Church of the Nazarene. Uh, we're attending there. And you need to know that God has saved me. What an awesome privilege to be a part of bringing anybody to the Lord, but especially one of your own, and God to do it in such a way. Well, it turns out that she's pregnant with my third grandson, and this morning, John David Curry has been born. And Saturday, Saturday, I had a Facebook note from one of the people in the congregation that said, oh, we just came from an awesome baby shower for your daughter. And so now Brownsburg Church of the Nazarene has another new member. So I had to uh, let you know about that this evening since my heart is flowing, overflowing this evening. This evening, the message is titled, Busted by an Angel. Busted by an Angel. I don't know what your perception is of angels. Maybe they are uh, little white figures that fly around, and uh, uh, maybe they're bouncers that take personal care of you. Maybe they have flaming swords. Uh, some of you I know well enough to know that they're probably pretty busy trying to keep you out of trouble. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how old this little boy was. He was old enough to know right from wrong. He was old enough to understand that when his mother told him to do something, he was supposed to do it. He was old enough to get into trouble. One day, his mother was in the basement of the house, and she had told him that he couldn't have any cookies until after lunch. Well, he saw that cookie jar up on the shelf, and this was back in the 50s or 60s. Maybe you've seen these cookie jars at the antique mall or something that are uh, black and white cows with a tail that wraps over the top. Uh, he wasn't big enough to reach that cookie jar, but he drug a stool over and climbed up on it and could just barely reach the tail of that cookie jar and he managed to get it off and in went his hand and out with an Oreo cookie. Those black Oreo cookies. And as he was trying to put the top back on the cookie jar, he heard footsteps on the stairs. And as he turned to look, around the corner came an angel. And he looked in the eyes of that angel and he was startled and he turned loose of that cookie jar and it came off the shelf and bounced onto the counter. And some way it didn't break, the lid didn't come off. And as he was looking at this angel, 
the jar continued to wobble and wobble closer to the edge and when he looked back it was just going over the edge and it smashed on the floor black Oreo cookies all over the kitchen floor and this angel just came and started cleaning up the mess I know this is true story because that angel was my mother and the little boy was me <laughs> now you may say she wasn't really an angel but for me she was an angel now I don't remember I probably got punished probably spent some time in the corner or something but I do know that uh, my army sergeant father never knew about that incident because if he had of I'd have paid a bigger price but as I looked in the eyes of that angel I saw what you've seen probably in your mother's eyes that she loved me she cared for me she was hurt that I had done something that I shouldn't have done I was busted I knew it I knew I shouldn't have done it but I had anyway and I got caught well years went by many years and uh, this angel she loved me and protected me uh, she gave me confidence she encouraged me she loved me she interceded for me uh, she chastised me occasionally she loved me did I say she loved me I knew that she loved me but often I would get busted doing things that I knew I shouldn't do when she came to the end of her life she was in the living room of her home she was ravished by cancer she couldn't talk anymore and uh, Paula and I went to see her and she couldn't talk to me but she focused on me there were others in the room but she didn't see any of them she was focused on me she was looking at me with those big eyes saying to me I can't speak to you but I still love you I'm still waiting to see what you're going to be and though it was unwritten and unspoken there were expectations of what I would become expectations of what she wanted for me in that moment I wanted to fall down and worship her for all she had done for me but that day I said I'm gonna know the Savior of hers more than I ever have before and I made a commitment to myself 
She looked in my eyes and I knew I was busted. I wasn't what she expected me to be. But some way, somehow, someday, I was. Now, I wasn't a drunkard out in sin. I think when she died, I was, I had already pastored a church. I had already done a lot of things. I was a Christian, but I knew that she expected more from me. Let's look together at a passage of scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. The first five verses, I'm sorry. Let's, I will read them and please follow along. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls in sin, forgivingly restore him saving your critical moments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down, reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. There are three things about this passage that I want you to see. Three things that we are told to do as Christians. First, in verse 4, Next, yeah. Make a careful exploration of who you are. Make a careful exploration of who you are. This could mean a lot of things to us. Do you know who you are? How do you know who you are? What tools are available to help us know? A lot of questions about this, making a careful exploration of who you are. Second, in this passage, it says, and make a careful exploration of the work you have been given. There are a lot of questions about that as well. If we can see the next slide. What is the work that we have been given? When did you find out? Who gave it to you? What will you do with it? The next one here is sink yourself into the work. And a lot of questions that we could ask about that. Now I know that most of you are here to fine tune the call that God has already placed on your life. And you are working to understand what that means and to gather theories and knowledge and, and to figure out how to be more effective in that ministry. And quite frankly, I'm not worried about whether you're going to sink yourself into that work. Uh, most Americans are workaholics, and I think most of you are probably no exception. Some of you I know are going to school at night, working full-time, trying to be husbands and mothers and uh, 
you know, working hard. So I don't want to focus on those two, but I do want to look for a minute at the first one. Make a careful exploration of who you are. I think from my perspective as leadership and ethics, this is the big issue for all of us. If I were to ask you today, what is the big problem in the church? What is the biggest problem that the church faces? Some people might say today it's the economy. Some would say it's our values are slipping away. Some would say, oh, we don't teach holiness anymore. My answer to that is that we don't know who we are. And you can't be a good leader if you don't know who you are. How do we answer this question? How do we explore who we are? To understand who we are, first and foremost, we must know who God is. Who is God? What is God like to you? Just a bit, little tidbit here for you. Most of us see God in the same way we see our Father, our earthly Father. And the characteristics He has are the characteristics we transfer to God. Some of you will be an exception based on your background. But that is not who God is. We must first understand who God is, and then we can ask the question of who am I? Now, tonight we will not be able to go into all of the details of who I am. It's a lifelong quest to understand who you are and the process of understanding the nuances of who you are and what God has for you. But let's start by asking one question and partially answering it tonight. And that question is, why were you created? Why were you created? Have you thought about that? Why were you created? Now, I know some of you think you already know the answer to that. And often the church tries to tell us that uh, we were created to make disciples. Ah, we like to put people on guilt trips about how many people have you brought to church this week. And, and we like to put you on a guilt trip about how many people have you uh, witnessed to this week. And your job is to make disciples. That's why you were created. Some say, as this passage that we looked at says, to do the work that we have been given. And our culture loves to tell us that if we aren't busy and if we aren't making something, if we aren't doing something, we don't have any value. But you and I both know that's not true. I think the real answer is that we were created to commune and worship God. I don't think Adam when he was born, 
was told, go make disciples, who would he have talked to? Uh, who would he have brought to the Lord? Uh, so I think that our purpose is to commune and to worship God. Now, this is an awesome opportunity. The God of the universe loves me so much that he wants to commune with me. He wants to worship with me. He wants to have a relationship with me. But not only is it awesome and wondrous, it's dangerous. Dangerous in what way? It's dangerous in the fact that we often go off into idolatry. I know that most of you have had several Bible courses, and so you remember with me Moses lifting up the serpent, and when the people looked at the serpent, they weren't hurt. You, you remember this story? But if you follow that story, many years later, they are worshiping this serpent that was made from bronze or whatever it was. And we have this tendency to worship things rather than to worship God. Why were we created? We were created to commune and worship God. Now, suppose that this instant message came into your office this week, onto your cell phone, and God said, your 11 o'clock service makes me gag. What would we say? Would we say, well, we like it. It's pretty nice. It, it makes us comfortable. And wasn't the, the music awesome? Wasn't it great? I like that style of music. The big question, of course, is who is worship for? Is worship for us? Or is worship for God? Let's look together at, at uh, Revelations 22, 8 and 9. The angel said to me, These are dependable and accurate words. Every one, the God and master of the spirits of the prophets, sent this angel to show his servants what must take place and soon, and to tell them, Yes, I'm on my way. Blessed be the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, saw all these things with mine own eyes, heard them with my ears. Immediately when I heard and saw, I fell on my face to worship at the feet of the angel who laid it all out before me. He objected, no, you don't. I'm a servant just like you and your companions, the prophets and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. I, I don't know what you say about that, but to me, John's busted. Okay, 
He knows better than this. I mean, after all he's been through and all of the things that he has experienced for God, he knows better than this. And the angel has to tell him, you're busted. Okay? Now the problem with this is this isn't the first time this has happened. This has already happened to him. Okay, if you uh, go back to uh, uh, Revelation 19.10, we won't go to it this evening, but the same thing happened, and the angel had to say, don't do it, don't do it. Worship God. Worship God. Well, duh, we know this, right? I, I mean, we know this. But if John has this problem of worshiping angels, of all of this extravagant stuff going on, and he falls down to worship things, we probably need to think about it too. We are prone to worship pastors. We're prone to worship feelings, styles of worship, styles of music. When I was younger, I, I came from a, a congregation that was uh, very strict. And all of the young men who wanted to be preachers, it's amazing how when they got up to preach, they sounded like brother so-and-so. They dressed like him. They act like him. They even stuttered sometimes like he did. You know, they wanted to be like him. They worshipped him. They didn't know they did it, but they did. And all of us have this. We are prone to worship things more than to worship God. I heard about an old monk who was very old and was just at the point of dying. And he said to those around him, the thing I'm going to miss the most is the Mass. Some of us act like that. We act like worshiping God is going to church. We act like going uh, to church is the right thing. And while it's a place to worship God, we are not to worship church, right? We are to worship God. I don't know what your definition of worship is, but for me, it's falling down in front of the Savior who loved me so much that he came to this earth. He shed his own blood for my sins. He didn't spill it. You know, the song, uh, one of them we sing talks about he spilled his blood. No, he didn't spill his blood for me. He shed it on purpose for me that I might have life, that I might have it more abundantly. I'm running out of time, so let me quickly talk to you about six things worship should be. Worship should be central to what we do in church. Worship should be central. Everything else emanates from our worship of God. Everything else must be an outgrowth of our adoration and our acceptance of Him. Second. Our worship must be Christ-centered. Worship is for him, not for us. You're going to hear it when you go to the pastorate. Believe me, you're going to hear it as you're 
shaking hands with people and they're walking out the door and they're critiquing the sermon and they're critiquing everything that went on and they think church is for them. They think worship is for them. We have to help them understand. Worship is about falling down in front of God. It is not about us. Worship is not about the consumer. It's about what God wants from us. You know, we critique the services, and what we ought to be doing is saying, what did God think about the service this morning? What does God think about what we did tonight? So it's not consumer. It should be committed, a commitment to excellence. Now, I don't want to talk about good, better, best, great, any of that stuff. I'm talking about what, are, what is the potential that you have to worship? What is the potential? And are we living up to that potential of worshiping God? We need to be committed to excellence, doing the best we can do for our Savior. And then number five is about consecration. Consecration of our life. Our entire life is to be worship of God. Everything that we do. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go home and get some rest. You know? You need to think about that, some of you folks. You're, yeah, right. It's almost exam time, you know. But consecration, our entire self. And then worship is about communion. Worship is not one-sided. It's not just me falling down in front of the Lord. It's not just me giving all of myself and being wholly sanctified. He wants to use us for a purpose. We like to quote and say that I'm uh, saved by faith, by grace, through faith. But we forget the rest of it, right? What does it say? For good works, right? God expects us to be using our life for worship of him. It is a two-way street. It is him and us together in communion. We were created for communion and worship. God desperately wants to have a relationship with you. Now, I know that uh, preachers are boring. I know services are bad sometimes. I know that the design isn't conducive. I know sometimes you don't like the music, whatever. But this is about worship between me and God. What you do is between you and God. Sometimes I'm just flat busted. You know, I come to church for the wrong reason this morning. I come and I do the wrong things. And when I leave and I, you know, wasn't that, oh my. I'm glad I didn't bring my neighbor today. I wouldn't want him to see how unprofessional that was. You know, whatever our excuses are. But we are to come and fall down into the presence of our Most High God. And that's what worship is about. If you're busted here today, let me give you a few, three suggestions. One, accept the concept that life is to be an act of worship. Live every day as an act of worship. Number two, worship is about focus. 
fall down in passionate love, reverence and wonder in the presence of your God. Focus on him. And then be committed to excellence in worship. Not good or bad or great, but giving Christ every day in your life the absolute best that you possibly can give him. In everything that you do, give him your best. Thank you. for your blessing in our life. We pray that as we bring our sacrifice of praise, our life and our all to you, that it will be acceptable in your sight, that you will use us as a channel of grace and mercy to reach out to a lost and a dying world. And because we are children of yours and because we love you, we will also love others. Yes. Go with us now, and may we not depart from your grace and mercy, but may your love shine in and through us, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.